0: Uh, good morning everyone, uh, today I'll be doing a Bible reading from 1 Peter 1, 3-9 uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade This inheritance is kept in heaven for you
1: Uh, One of the things that I had the privilege of doing uh, many, many years ago when I was a chaplain down in Dunsborough uh, was I went to Kalgoorling and we went to some of the gold places there in the refineries and uh, went in and got to see some of the gold being poured. And it's really quite amazing looking at what you know is to be gold when it's all melted and it's flowing. Like gold's not meant to flow at normal temperatures and it's sort of not what you normally see. Uh, But it was an amazing experience to see gold... Uh, being put into the, you know, the, the squared things. I know there's a technical name for ingot. Or, is it ingot? Does that sound right? There we go. All right, into the gold ingots. Uh, and it's just amazing to see how it happens. Now, one of the reasons why they do that is not just because it's fun to make gold melty, uh, but it's to refine it. That gold, when it's in its form, its normal everyday form, uh, isn't able to have the impurities taken out. That, that metal actually has to be refined Under high temperature. And this is an image that's kind of given of what life and faith can be like. That that actually God uses a principle of refining. And refining doesn't necessarily happen in our day-to-day life. that, That sometimes we actually need we either need to find ourselves under high temperature or we happen to find ourselves under high temperature. And I will speak to the difference in those two uh, as we go across today. And it's in those moments of high temperature, of, of challenge, of trial, of difficulty, of concern, that so often our faith is actually grown or broken. We're continuing our series today. We started it last week, uh, looking at faith catalysts. We're going to be looking at five things that God uses to supercharge our faith. And sometimes God makes these happen and sometimes God uses things that are already happening to expand on our faith. And so the one we're looking at today is pivotal circumstances. Now, I actually want to give a little bit of a a heads up up front. For some people, as we look through this today, you might have things come to mind that are a bit tough because we're going to talk about the tough things that happened to us. We're going to talk about trials. Now, that might be the trial of, you know, stubbing your toe. through the trial of losing a loved one when you weren't expecting it. Or many other myriad of things that you might go through. And there might be some emotions that come forward. And so I want to be very delicate. I'm very pastoral in the way that we approach this. But I also want to be very clear that pivotal circumstances... Those moments in your life when you come up against something unexpected, something that might hurt, something that's challenging, something that's difficult, something that's not everyday run of the mill. And it might be something that lasts for a season. It may not just be an overnight thing, but something that actually you go through for a number of years. So often these are the things that can supercharge your faith that there's actually an opportunity as you come across these things. And there's two ways that they can go, and I actually think we actually have a little bit of a say in how that would happen. See, pivotal circumstances, that's often where people's faith is made or is lost. When do people lose faith? Well, normally it's in difficult times, it, you really lose faith in the good times. So it might be that over time you slowly sort of disappear from faith because things are good and you kind of just get sort of comfortable in your own skin. But, but normally, if you were to ask someone who once had faith and now they don't, they almost always can point back to a moment or an event or an experience or something that happened that rocked and shattered their faith. But on the flip side, when you talk to someone who came to faith, it's often not in the good times that someone goes, you know what, actually, I think Jesus is real. It's, it's actually often that something happens and it gets beneath the surface and it rattles you and it gets you to think about life beyond yourself. And so you ask someone, how did you come to faith? So often God, it'll be that God, something happened and I experienced this or I came to this point and I just had to consider who Jesus was. Pivotal circumstances and how we approach them are so essential to our understanding of how God is going to supercharge our faith. So here's the question that I want us to look at today. We're having a lot of fun with this today. Can you just go to the next slide we me, it?
0: We have this happen
1: about once every three to six months, and it doesn't work, and then every other week it's perfectly fine. And then it'll just come back and start working again. Uh, here's the question. How can the challenges we face become faith-building... And not faith-destroying. Is there anything we can do, and I think there is, I'm going to answer that question right now, that we can do to help the outcome of it be that it becomes faith-building rather than being faith-destroying? So I'm just going to start by looking at a bit of a a concept called growth versus comfort. Who likes to be comfortable? (coughs) Okay, I think we all do. Uh, Who likes to be uncomfortable? Not many, you know, it's very rare to with the occasional. If you're in a high school, all the kids are going to be, oh, yeah, I like to be uncomfortable. No, not really. We all like to be comfortable. And yet very rarely does growth come from comfort. Uh, as I said last week, this series, that the main concepts of this series, that the titles like Pivotal Circumstances, they come from a teaching series by another pastor called Annie Stanley. Uh, he does a course around this. And one of the things that he says is this. God brings trials into our lives to test and expand our faith. He is more interested in our growth, in the growth of our faith than he is in our comfort. So I want to read that again. God brings trials into our lives to test and expand our faith. He is more interested in the growth of our faith than he is in our comfort. There are some questions that kind of linger in that that I'm not going to answer right now. But I will come back to that. But another way, another uh, Christian who you will probably most of you will have heard of, C.S. Lewis, he says it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our, in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you're going through challenges, you are more attuned to sort of hearing or listening or going sort of beyond your own strength because challenges and difficulties in your life bring you to the end of your own strength and ability. And so when we're in those seasons, if we will have ears to hear, God can and does use them to grow your faith. Now, one of the questions that's kind of left in the first one uh, it says God brings trials. And for some people, you're going to sit there and go, ooh, I'm a bit uncomfortable with No, no, God just uses the trials that come. He, he doesn't bring trials. Well, I, I will go into that a bit more later, but I do want to read a story, uh, one, of the, one of the bits of Scripture we're going to look at today. We're on face value, and there's a few nuances that I'll speak to. It, it certainly seems like God orchestrates, or Jesus orchestrates a set of events that he could have potentially averted. But he chooses not to for some very significant reasons. So if you want to jump with me, jump with me to John chapter 11. And so John chapter 11, we're going to pick it up at verse 1. We're not going to read the whole story, but I will tell you what happened, so you're not left, you know, oh, what's going on? Uh, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. I'm just going to pause there before I read the rest of that section, because there's a couple of key things that I want you to catch here. Lazarus is not just some random guy. This is not just someone who, oh, yeah, Lazarus is unwell. Uh, Lazarus is described as being someone who Jesus loves. In fact, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are three of Jesus' closest friends. And so they come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lazarus is sick. So what does Jesus do? He races to go and heal Lazarus. No, it's interesting. There in verse verse 6 it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. Now, I want to add here that there is a nuance, and this is where there's a bit of a, a debate around what this whole passage means. Because there are people who struggle with the idea that Jesus will allow Lazarus to die. Spoilers, that's what happens, and we'll cover that in a moment. And if you look at the timeline, we discover later on that in theory, if you look at the timeline, it's actually likely that Lazarus is actually already dead at this point. Uh, Because when Jesus finally gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. But irrespective of whether or not that's the actual case, it certainly is clear here that Jesus knows something's going on. And yet his response in this moment is to pause. He doesn't race there to go and fix it. He doesn't race to go and, if he knew that Lazarus was dead, surely he's going to be the first one to go and go and grieve with those who have lost their brother. But Jesus waits. And we're going to find out why. In verse 11, we pick it up at. So after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. There was that kind of concept that if you're really sick, you didn't sleep very well. If you're sleeping, well, actually, that's a good place to be. He'll recover. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and this is the bit that really really sticks and maybe this will be a pebble in your shoe and for your sake I am glad I was not there for your sake I am glad I was not there why so that you May believe. But let us go to him. Now, remember, go back to that last verse. Jesus had said, This will not end in death. Jesus has a plan, and the rest of the story goes on. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. So Jesus miraculously brings Lazarus back to, back to life. He'd been in a tomb for four days. Uh, in the King James Version, it says that he stinketh, that, that's how long he'd been in the grave. He stinketh, so he's starting to decompose and things are going on. But here's the bit that we sit in with a little bit of discomfort. See, if Jesus was there, Jesus would have healed him. It certainly seems to be like that. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Jesus is glad that Lazarus and his family goes through this experience if that doesn't sit at least a little bit uncomfortably with your understanding of, of the general premise of Jesus, that, I, I look at that and go, if that wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't like, believe it because it just seems strange. But he says very clearly, so that you may believe. See, here's one of the things that we have to wrap our heads around as followers of Jesus. Belief was so important to him that people would believe that they would know that he was who he said he was, is so essential to Jesus. That he will allow circumstances to be orchestrated in such a way that people's general, everyday, comfortable world will be turned upside down. So... That you'll believe. Now obviously some of the circumstances that we experience don't lend in that direction and we'll come to that as well. But here's the other truth that Jesus knows and this is part of the perspective that we're going to look at across today. This life is not all that there is. See the reason Jesus wants you to believe And the reason why he's willing to let things that happen in this life happen in such a way that they do is it is more important for you to believe and to know and to understand the one who came to live and die and rise again and make a way for you to be with him for eternity. It is more important for you to have that belief and let it be rock hard than it is for you to live a comfortable, trouble-free life. As we said last week, the main foundation of faith is trust. And he wants you to believe. He he wants you to be able to trust that he is real, that he is true, that he is there. And to let that trust be at the heart of your experience of this life. So that as you come and you go and as you experience different things, your belief is so firm that it will hold you through those times. Because you've experienced something, that that something has happened in such a way that though you might look at these circumstances and go, I just don't see that you'll believe. It continues on in in John 16, so we're skipping down uh, into different parts of it. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. You will leave leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, as John is summarizing the whole of his gospel, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is summarizing his teaching. He's summarizing, why have I shared the stories I've shared with you? Why have I given you the experiences that you've had? In these things you might know, you might have peace, but in this world, you will have trouble. All right, this is prior to him dying and rising in, and so they have, really don't know the fullness of what they're about to experience. But we as followers of Jesus, We should actually expect to face challenging circumstances in this life. That actually nowhere throughout the scriptures do we get the idea that we wouldn't have challenges. Yes, we get the idea that we're going to have support. Yes, we get the idea that Jesus is going to be with us. Yes, we get the idea that he will help us to find our way through those things. But in this life, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised when those things come along and rock the boat. Be prepared. And and I love how it says there, Jesus, he says, uh, you're going to leave me alone. You're going to disappear. You're going to disperse. But actually, I'm not alone because I've got God. That even when everyone else would leave me, I've got God. Now, it's not just a New Testament thing. It's this concept is littered throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 66.10 says this, For you God tested us, you refined us like silver. There's that refining concept. Isaiah 48.10, See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Uh, Jeremiah nine and seven: Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? Uh, Daniel 11.35 says, Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. For it will come at the appointed time. Uh, Daniel 12.10 says, Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who were wise will understand. Understanding comes from wisdom. Wisdom comes from perspective, being able to look at the circumstances that come our way and see them through the lens of Jesus. God wants to refine us. He wants to purify us. He wants to make us spotless. And that rarely happens through always being comfortable. With this perspective. In James uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to tw- 2 to 4, sorry, and verse 12, it says this Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Who wants to sign up for that? Yeah, sound good? I'm going to put the sign up sheet at the back after the service. And yeah. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then we skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this is where I want to be very clear. Not all trials that we experience are from God. That, That isn't what the Bible teaches in any way. Not every trial that you experience is because God has gone, I'm going to use this to test this person. But I am convinced that all trials can bring us closer to God. See, not every trial comes from God. I think some do. And again, we we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that with Jesus and Lazarus. We see that in many other places, that, that God actually allows and potentially even brings circumstances your way that are going to be a trial. But that doesn't mean that every trial you experience is God bringing them. Every single pivotal circumstance that we face, it can, with the right perspective, bring us closer to God. So what is that perspective? What is it that we can do? How do we actually look at things in this life in such a way that trials and circumstances that we face can be faith builders and not faith destroyers? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1-4, to it says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. So, Since then you've, basically, you've decided to follow Jesus, to use simple language. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And the next verse, I actually should have highlighted the next one too. For you died. When you decided to follow Jesus, you gave your life just like Jesus gave his life. that, that the rest of this earthly life is actually given over to God because of an eternal perspective. Because we have an understanding that actually this life is not the best life. This is not where we're going to experience all the fullness of what God would have for us. That will come for eternity. And that we actually sacrifice, we give this life over to God. We say, God, let me use this life to draw more people to know you. Why? Because belief is so important. That others would believe is the most important thing that we can give our lives to. And that as we face trials and as we face challenges and we face those things, we can remember that actually this is temporal. And this is where I want to be a bit pastoral. I know some of the challenges that you have faced. I know some of the challenges that you are facing right now are really, really difficult. And I cannot begin to imagine sitting in your seat. I I, I can't imagine what it is to be sitting where you sit. But the truth of this scripture actually remains irrespective of what the experience might be. Because it is actually saying, you won't see the fullness in this life. It is having an eternal perspective. It doesn't remove the difficulties. It doesn't mean that you sit more comfortably. Because again, it's not about comfort. But it does help you to reimagine them. It can help you reimagine them in light of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. There's a lot more nuance to that. And if this touches something new that makes you uncomfortable, please come and see me. I'd love to actually come and have a coffee because I can talk about this in a lot more depth in that space than I can in the time I have today. But the answer that is given throughout scripture to all of the trials that we face in this life is to remember to set our minds on things above, to set our mind on Christ and an eternity and all that he has for us in that space, and to walk the walk of this life, whether we have a relatively comfortable life or if we have a really rough experience, to walk that with the lens of understanding that there is more to life than this. So your eternal view will shape your earthly perspective. If your perspective, and so if someone who isn't following Jesus, someone who doesn't believe there's life beyond this life, they need to wring out of this life everything that they can because in their perspective, this is all they get. If you've got someone who doesn't believe in an eternal view and they're facing difficulties and challenges and things, then then they're going to look at those through a very different lens because they're looking at it as being robbed of this life. But when we have an eternal view and we understand the bigger picture and we understand that, that God is actually making a way for us to be redeemed and restored and renewed, we can experience our earthly existence in a very different way. And it might seem unfair because it, it certainly comes across to me sometimes that some people seem to have a blessed life and others seem to just go from woe to woe to woe and it's not because of their own choices or circumstances. And I don't think we can actually make sense of that without an eternal perspective. And that by the time we get to a thousand years into our eternal, I'm sure there's an old hymn. I can't remember the words to it, but there's an old hymn. When, when all of those were in God's praise for a thousand years, we've still got a thousand more. It really does dwarf. I don't want to diminish your pain and challenge and circumstances, but the hope that is given is that that perspective will dwarf what we experience today. Now, it's real to us today because it's what we're experiencing. But the Bible again and again and again calls us to not look down and get caught in our own circumstances today, but but to look up to the King of the kings and the Lord of lords and trust and sit in the truth of the big picture. And so then, this is not the full story, remember, that God is the God of compassion. God is the God of grace. God is the God who comes and sits with you and walks with you in these pains and challenges. Doesn't pretend they're not there. Doesn't pretend they're not true. But also doesn't let them become all that there is. So what do we do with this? Firstly, I want you to ask this question. If you are honest with yourself, from what perspective are you building your life upon? Are you laser focused on experiencing all that you can experience in this life and that's kind of where all your decisions flow from? Or have you got that eternal perspective that shapes and allows you to live this life differently? And to look at the lens of different experiences and maybe to miss out on some things that you would have loved to experience or to maybe have a different experience of life than others might have. Because your eternal perspective will absolutely shape your earthly experience. Here's another one. How do you naturally view challenges that you face? Do you naturally see them as attacks on yourself or do you naturally just see them as you almost expect that to happen? What's your view on the challenges that you face? Because it, it's helpful to have an understanding for yourself on what your own perspective is. I'd love you to think back and reflect on your own life. What life circumstances have refined your faith? And it's not always the positive ones. It's not always the ones that were actually really, really good and helpful. You can sort of look back and go, all right, if I had my choice, I wouldn't have gone through what I went through. But gee, I can see how God used it. Gee, I can see how I am where I am today. Because actually, in and through that experience, I was refined. I had to face some things about myself or about things that were going on that actually I wouldn't have faced them without that experience. What are the circumstances that you've had that have refined your faith? Here's a really big question that I'm wrestling and talking through, and this is kind of where I've come through this whole series. Is your trust in God growing or shrinking? And why? I think one of the biggest things that we can be looking for in our rhythm of life It's not that we're making these grand strides of getting really, really good at everything. But simply, is my faith today, do I I trust God today a little bit more than I trusted him yesterday? What what are the environments that I'm putting myself in that help grow my trust? What, What are the relationships that I'm investing in that are helping me to grow my trust? And that we look at everything through that lens. Because remember, the main foundation of faith is trust. That as you trust God more, you can face circumstances in a different light. If you have complete trust in God, and I'm talking that's like super trust. I wouldn't even say I'm there. But if you've, got, if you've got this trust in God, when circumstances come your way that are not what you would ask for, you look at them through the lens of, well, I trust God, so there must be, and you can explore and explain and, and sit through... As your trust goes, so does your capacity to see things that happen to you, to see them differently. So is your trust growing or shrinking and why? Are you prepared to share your story? Not today. Don't worry, I'm not going to get you up the front to share your story. But a big part, I think, that God uses is to actually use the things that have happened to us. And to be able to find ways that not necessarily straight away, because if you're sharing out of place of pain, good things don't often happen. But as you reconcile your past, as you reconcile the circumstances that might have come your way, your story is a powerful thing. And so often it will be your story that God uses to help shape somebody else's faith experience. Again, it doesn't make it a good thing that you went through it doesn't mean that you should be like, woohoo, I'm so glad I had that really, really, really difficult time in my life. But actually right now, that experience is what that person needed to hear. Because that's actually where they are right now. And my story helps them bring hope. So be prepared and think through and work out. Not necessarily on a Sunday morning, you know, sharing publicly context but just being ready to share the stories of what the pivotal circumstances that you've experienced and how God was present in the midst of them and how they were used to grow and refine your faith. Because that might just be what somebody else needs to hear. But our eternal perspective absolutely will shape our earthly experience. How we view that big story will shape the way that you experience everything that you experience in this life. Let's pray. Father, we pray. Firstly, I want to pray for those who right now are going through difficult circumstances. I just want to pray that your spirit would wrap their arms around them with comfort and support. Lord, that you help us to sit with those who face difficult circumstances. Lord, there are people who aren't with us today, who aren't here because of things that are going on in their life. And we pray that you would be with them in the midst of this. We also pray, Lord, that you would be continually refining each of us, not through big challenges and big life-altering circumstances, but, Lord, just the day-to-day. Lord, use your refiner's fire to help us to become more and more the people you're calling us to be. And help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to look at the big-picture story to be reminded as we go through things of just what you bought for us through your life, death, and resurrection. It wasn't a comfortable life in this world. It was life everlasting with you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.